You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about BuildBook, who in addition to sponsoring this episode, they've developed a program to help all of you during this extremely difficult time. If you don't know what they do, they offer a tool that funnels all the conversations and decisions that occur between you, your team, and your client before, during, and after projects into one place and made it dead simple to use. They've taken something that is chaotic for most of you, like staying on top of all the messages you're getting over text, phone calls, job site conversations, you name it, and brought it into one channel that's simple for anyone on your team to use. Look, I don't need to tell you guys this, but good, clear communication with your clients and team is more critical now than it has ever been. BuildBook knows how important this is for you as well, but also knows the strain this crisis is having on your business. So they're offering their software to you for free. Yes, you heard that correctly. To help you get through this unprecedented time, BuildBook has put together a program to provide you with some free resources, including their software. It's an amazing opportunity that I strongly encourage you to take advantage of. So hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777. That's one word, BUILDBOOK. They'll immediately send you a link that brings you directly to the page to sign up. There are no strings attached. It's just their way of doing what they can to support your business. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK, one word, to 33777 to get your free account. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. In today's episode, I sit down with the guys And we do a deep dive on leadership. It's a very big and broad topic, but we do have some specific examples and stories on the guys, both in their situations coming into a family business as the kid, but then also thinking about uh, as they develop through their careers, bringing in kids into the business. And so talking about leadership from both of those angles, I think you'll get a ton out of today. It certainly made me think about things from a different perspective. Um, And then we wrap up with some good leadership books uh, and recommendations. So uh, stay tuned for episode five of Building a Family Business. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Building a Family Business podcast here on Builder Funnel Radio. As always, I'm joined with Wes and Brooks. How are you guys doing today, Wes? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm Brooks, doing great how are also. You? Yeah, great. Another beautiful Double day. Great. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Uh, so what are you guys reading these days? Brooks? I am reading an interesting book here, The Religion Virus by Craig James. So very interesting. It just talks about uh, how religions have evolved. Uh, And he kind of, this guy's theory is kind of survival of the fittest. So as religions have evolved into the, you know, basically the the few religions we have today from multiple religions across the world. So super interesting. Yeah, it does sound interesting. Yeah. So survival of the fittest, meaning just whichever religions maybe marketed their word better. and kind That's of- kind of his theory. So he'll go from all these different religions throughout you know, time, you know, going back four or 5,000 years, and how the different religions were you know, uh, adapted and became more popular to the religions that, we, that survive today. So it's huh. just an interesting... Uh, you, uh, way to look at it so i'm finding it interesting yeah, yeah. cool that's cool how, how far you, uh, are you about halfway into it i mean it's a little it's it kind of you know tips you on your head a yeah. little bit the, the theory um 
uh, depending on how you were raised. So it is, it's an interesting book to plow through because you're always going back and forth thinking, oh, okay, yeah, so yeah. it's making me uh, think a little harder than I usually do. <laughs> Might have to set that one down for a little bit. I have. I've set it down twice. <laughs> so that was in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Wes? What do you? Uh, what do you well, right now I just started a new book last night. Um, I just ran across it on my Kindle. It's called "Can't Hurt Me: Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds," and it's by a guy named David Goggins. Oh yeah. And have you have you heard of him? Before. Yeah. 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 I follow him on Instagram. I haven't picked up the book yet and read it. Okay. But, yeah, well, he, has, he had a pretty hardcore. horrific childhood. I mean, I'm just kind of going through and reading about his childhood right now. It's just terrible, just awful. And so I think this book, I think the premise of the book is kind of, Hey, we're only using 40% of our capacity and, and he's going to show that. So I kind of looked him up on Wikipedia. He holds the world record for most pull-ups in an hour, which is over 4,000 pull-ups in an hour. It took him three or four attempts over, I don't know, three or four years to do it. Wow. You know, one time he blew out a wrist and one time, you know, just so pretty interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting into it. I think he's going to show us or talk about how, man, we can push ourselves a lot further than we ever think that we can. So anyway, and I'm still grinding through. Uh, Charles Koch's book on uh, Good Profit. So still working on that. Um, slowing down a little bit on that. We're getting into some heavy duty stuff. So it's kind of like the uh, Brooks's book. I'm, I'm reading some and I'm setting it down and then I go read something else and, and then come back to it. So that's what I'm doing. I, really like, I prefer to read a book all the way through, but I find that whereas I used to be able to do that easier, I'm finding that more challenging. And so I'm not sure, quite sure why that is, but I tend to, I, for me, if I can read it all the way through, I get more out of it versus mm -hmm. picking it up, setting it down. So I, so I struggle with that because I'm like, oh yeah, this book's kind of heavy. I'll read something a little lighter. And uh, do you guys, do you guys highlight or underline or do anything like that in your books or not? Well, I usually put some ink on my forehead so when I fall asleep reading, I just. You know. <laughs> no, I don't. That's an interesting idea. It would be a highlight or. Well, it just I find that I do that in my Kindle. I used to do it in my books. I just you know underline and write in them and stuff like that. And that kind of helped me keep me engaged if the book was one that was a little heavier. You know, so yeah. oh maybe I should star that or underline that. Could you underline on your Kindle then? Yeah, you can. Sure. Have, yeah. You have a Kindle. Technology breakthrough for Brooks. Yeah, so just hold your hold your <laughs> finger down <laughs> on hold your finger down on the word of one of the word in the sentence that you want to highlight, and yeah. then it will kind of highlight that, and then you can drag the ends of it to highlight the entire sentence or paragraph oh. you want it. And then I think you can actually pull up everything you've highlighted and just read the highlighted sections after you're done with the book. Yeah, that's a nice a nice that's feature, a and it's weird because I do the highlighting on. Kindle. Uh, but then when I do a physical book, I just dog ear pages. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an interesting one because then usually I forget which part of that page. I'm like, oh, oh. it could have been this part or it could have been this yeah. part. Those all are both kind of interesting. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's all good stuff. Well, I figured it's my book. So that's why I just started writing in them. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm, just I'm curious that. though, because uh, I, I tend to be in the middle of a few books at once but Brooks yeah. you said that you used to just read one all the way through but how do you how do you guys absorb books and get through them are you in the middle of do you try to stick to one or one or two or is it just you're all over the board uh, everyone kind of does a little well bit I try to, I try to just stick to one and then I might have one around more work and I might have one more just around more pleasure reading which might be educational in some way in some fashion um, and then uh, you know if I'm on vacation then I'm just reading you know, murder mysteries and I'll just plow through seven or eight on a, in a week or something like that. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that. I guess I, I have been bouncing around more and I think what I do now is I read until my, I find myself starting to drift. And then if I'm drifting, I'm not really getting everything that I was getting out of the book, you know, when I was reading earlier, then I'll stop and I'll just go to something else. Um, because I, what I find is that it'll maintain my interest for about half a book, and then I start to, to drift a little bit. And uh, so if I want to keep that interest all the way through, I have to go read something else and then come back to it and pick it up again. And I just find that helps me a little bit in that regard. Yeah. 
Yeah, I find that I definitely have book ADD. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll start one and then, I'll, oh, that one looks good. Oh, that one looks good and just well, pick them up. There's so much content out there that's coming yeah. out every day. It's, you know, it's hard to consume. You're trying to decide what you're going to consume. And there's a lot yeah. of crap, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many leadership books there are out there, but about nine kabillion leadership books or business books or management books. So it's really hard to figure out what the, you know, the best ones are. Yeah. Well, and that was a perfect segue into well, your topic welcome. today. Yeah, yeah. nicely awesome. done, Wes. Yeah. So, yeah, today we we wanted to dig into leadership, but not just leadership in general and kind of how it applies in the family business setting. Um, but I guess just to kind of kick things off, you know, Wes, as you think about leadership, how has your uh, like how did you develop your style, or how did when did you even just first start thinking about leadership in the business setting because i feel like a lot of times you just yeah. get into business and you just start just doing your rolling, thing right you're just doing your thing and you don't necessarily think about that leadership element right and and i've read a lot of books on leadership probably later you know in my business career um i would have to say that my style developed into pretty much kind of leadership and management by walking around so uh, my idea of leadership, uh, certainly in my last business is, Hey, I wanted to make sure I was always the first guy in. So, you know, coffee had to be made by six or six thirty in the morning before the first ship showed up. So I'd always get in there and do that. Um, and then as people came in, I always wanted to make sure I was saying hi, finding out a little bit about how they were feeling that day. And so by the time you work your way through 30 people or so, you've kind of killed a little bit of time just as you go around and talk to them at whatever their workstations are. Whether that was a good style or not, I don't know. Um, it, it worked for me and my personality. And I think that's part of it. There's no, I don't think there's any particular style that's best. I think it really has to fit with your own personality and what, what works for you. Some people are super rah-rah. They're like, hey, yeah, you know, everything is just uh, over the top. And, and um, other people are just leading by example. Um, and to me, I think that's probably all I've tried to do is just lead by example, just be there first, be there last, um, try to be kind, you know, try not to yell at people, <laughs> try, you know, even when you're stressed out as the, the leader of the business, um, never take it out on your employees, try to be collaborative, bring other people into the, the picture and discuss about how to solve a problem. Um, is that the best way? I don't know. It worked okay for me. Um, I don't know. How about you, Brooks? I think one of the things about leadership in in looking more retrospectively is, it, especially in small businesses, um, like everyone is in or they're they're managing, maybe managing a division, so they have a, a section they're working on or a business they're working on, is being introspective and learning about leadership and learning about leadership styles. Um, I would say that's one of my biggest mistakes was in starting out. I didn't really know about leadership. And you know, had to be self-taught, and that just you know, it takes a lot of time to, to do that. So the quicker you can understand dif understand different leadership styles, the quicker you can learn about them. You know, even if you have to learn learn about them just on your own, but as quickly as you can do that and practice being the best leader you can be, that's going to be helpful, and it's going to be helpful for your employees, helpful for your if you have kids or you have a, a spouse, you know, it's just going to be helpful. You'll just be a better person by being a better leader. Um, yeah. And, the quicker and, you can get to that, I think is, is the best. Hey Brooks, one of the things that when, uh, I th when you said the word style just reminded me, you know, I think we've all done the disc profiles, um, personality profiling. And I found that to be really helpful when I first, Oh, I guess it'd be about 97 or 98 was the first time that we used disc profiles in the business. And yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I really had no idea that there was different personality styles or different uh, styles of working and um, receiving information and interacting with others. So, you know, disc, if you haven't done it, I would think that's a really um, a great one to work with. The other one is Myers-Briggs. But for me, that kind of opened up uh, 
it, it made me change my style when I worked with particular people. So if I was working with somebody who I knew they were very conscientious and very list oriented and they were very concerned about getting everything right, then I couldn't be, I couldn't run in my normal style, which would be, Hey, just throw something on their desk. Say, Hey, you know, uh, do you mind taking care of that? And I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow about it. Bang out the door because that would be the wrong thing to do because yeah, they would really struggle out, right? with that, right? It'd freak <laughs> them out. <laughs> and uh, I did have um, one uh, lady that worked for me who was probably off the charts, uh, a C, which in disc profile means very conscientious, uh, wanted to make sure everything was perfect all the time. And so she needed a lot of reassurance because she would come and say, did I get that right? Was I saw that was wrong. Was that because of me? You know, did I do something wrong? And so you constantly, and so you had to be very patient and kind of work through that with her every single time and recognize that's not going to change. You can't just say, Hey, you know, your work's great. Just, just keep going. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. You're doing a great job. Just keep going. You know, I got to go. Uh, that's not going to work with someone like that. So it does help you modify your styles, I guess. Yeah. And I think that was I don't remember who asked me the question, but it was early on, maybe a couple of years into starting the business. And they asked me, what is your leadership style? Mm. And I didn't know, you know, like leadership yeah. style, you know, what, yeah. but, but that question I think is a good one to think about, you know, if you haven't thought about that question, or even if you have just kind of revisiting that question periodically and going, you know, what is my leadership style? What do I try to do? Uh, and that really helped me. I started digging into some different, leadership books and, you know, picked up a few and then you kind of draw on those and go, Oh, I like that element or that resonates with me or that kind of fits with my personality or unique style. And some things are like, Oh, I could never do that. And so maybe you don't start with some of those ideas and concepts, but I know that really helped me just start to formulate what, what I thought my leadership style was. And then it continues to evolve, but that question really helped. And um, I, I want to dive into a question here that I think comes up with leadership today with uh, millennials, because there's kind of this stereotype that um, a lot of millennials are entitled. And mm -hmm. so, you know, as we think about either like kids coming into the business or, or just kind of a, a younger workforce, um, I don't know, what do you guys think about that? And have you found it to be true? And maybe Brooks will, will kick off with you. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, you know, I, I in prep for the, the call today, you know, millennials are anywhere from 24 years old to 39 years old right now. I mean, it's a so huge range. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge range. <laughs> and I think, yeah, this broad brushstroke that the media uses about the millennials being entitled is just BS because they're, it's like anything where you just make this broad generalization. And there are so many hardworking people that are within that bandwidth of age for the age bracket that that's just not even true. Um, you know, I think we've made like anything, we make caricatures and, you know, make fun of like, Oh, this, this millennials entitled or something like that. And they're, they're, you know, they're sure there's a few people like that in every generation. That doesn't really matter. But I think, uh, you know, the age group, the age cohort, I mean, I'm just thinking about, um, the kids I know, the people I know who are in that age cohort, I, you know, nephews and nieces in that cohort, they're just hard work. They're just, they're just as hard working as anybody else, if not harder working. And they've had some bigger challenges, just like people who grew up in the depression of 1930, those are hardworking people, you know, people who came of age in 2008, 2009, you know, they had some, some serious challenges that, that economically that they're not going to forget. And they worked hard to, you know, dig their way out. I mean, there's always, there's whiners in every generation, you know, <laughs> yeah, and it's not specific sure. to, you know, to the millennial generation. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, well, no, I, I totally agree with that, Rick. I mean, you have to kind of ask yourself, well, how much does your age define you? <laughs> I mean, really, you think of all the things that define you as a person, how much of, how much of that is just your age? You know, so um, just because I'm 60 doesn't mean I'm going to, act a particular way or anything else. So I think all the other things uh, define how someone's going to act. You know, what was their upbringing? What's their, uh, what's their code of ethics? Um, what types of jobs they had in the past? You know, all those types of things. What's their family experience? Where, what part of the country did they grow up? I mean, you could 
go on and on and on and on all the things that form that one unique individual. And I think that's, I think as leaders, we kind of, we uh, can be in a lot of danger if we start dumping people into buckets. And uh, so if we just dump people into buckets, then we're not really going to deal with that person as one unique individual. And that's, I think what you really have to do as a leader is deal with people as each person is their own I mean, do you want to be treated as a as someone who's part of a bucket? I mean, Spencer, you're millennial, right? So yeah, I'm right in the middle of that range. I didn't yeah. know the exact range, Brooks. Yeah, so, so I don't know. Would you that. say you, uh, you know, if you read a description of a a typical millennial in the newspaper or something, uh, of course you wouldn't read that in the newspaper. Uh, but <laughs> what is a newspaper? He's <laughs> heard of these this things. You call the newspaper? Yeah. 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 Is that so what the dinosaurs used to read? Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. So I mean, would you go? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm definitely entitled, and yeah, I'm definitely, you know, I mean, I just don't think it applies. Yeah, and I think to to your point, Brooks, like you said, there's whiners in every generation. You certainly see, like usually stereotypes come about because there's some truth, but it could be even whatever percentage, whether it's 1% or 10 or 20, it doesn't really matter. There's usually some element of truth, but then that just gets blown up and just, you know, standardized. But I guess kind of back to the heart of the question, I think you get this interesting dynamic with a family business when you have a kid coming into the business and suddenly like, the truth of it is they may be afforded an opportunity that maybe other people aren't because they are family. Absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, Brooks, how do you handle that scenario with other employees, but then also with the kids so that they don't develop a little bit of sense of that entitlement because they, they are get, given that opportunity. They probably didn't have to interview, you know, stuff like that. So how, how do you think we should approach that? I think you approach it from, you have to, you, if you start early on, so it depends on where a person is in their business evolution and where the age of their kids. Sure. Because if you're starting your business and your kids are five, you got a little bit more runway to think about what you might want to do with your kids. But let's say you started your business and it's actually very successful and you need resources and you have kids who are 16 or 18 or you have a nephew or niece who are 16 or 18 and you're like, you know, that's a hardworking person like to get them over in the business and you're hiring more for uh, work work ethic and like, Oh, I think they're smart and they may not have the skills. Sure. Or trust maybe. Yeah. You might trust them or you're like, well, they would, they'd be committed to the business. It's then thinking and being very thoughtful and thinking about what would you, what are the steps you would want to do? to train that person to come into the business um, and they just have the added benefit or, you know, that I, of being a family member. So you may think about that and think, well, you know, if they're this age, I would do take these steps and I would educate them this way. And maybe I'd ask them to go and spend one or two years working somewhere else, getting work experience before they came into the business or, you know, getting specific training, um, and I'm, I'm a big believer it's probably very beneficial for you know, people to go work somewhere else for you know, two or three years before they come in. And there could be a pathway. Sure. And as a business owner, you can communicate to your employees, hey, you know what, I, you know, it's about stability in the business, providing opportunities for every employee. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train up uh, my son or daughter and they're going to kind of step in and work through these roles. And it's that transparency because people really just want to know, Hey, how's this going to affect me? Right. You know, the person at the front desk is like, well, how does this new hire, you know, how's this going to impact my life? Am I going to lose my job? Am I, but really they just want to make sure they have a good career and have a good job. And so providing that transparency. So it's, it's, it's very, it has to be very thoughtful. So you said a couple of things there. One was just the, communication to the other team members, employees, like here's the plan. So everyone kind of knows. But then you also mentioned you're a big fan of having somebody go get a job somewhere else for a year or two or three. Um, Why, why do you think that's important? Well, for for me, my experience was I uh, had the opportunity to go to college, uh, you know, study business came out, but you know, no real life experience besides, you know, summer jobs, framing, things like that. Um, and then went right to work uh, for um, 
for Wes and then also our, basically by our dad's company, but no outside experience. And so then you're in a very interesting dynamic where you're, you're reporting to your sibling and your parent. Mm -hmm. It's your first management experience, your first employee <laughs> experience. And I think yeah. it's beneficial to go work somewhere else and understand the difference between man, you know, management as a, as an employee and being managed as a adult child. And I think that's helpful. And, and uh, because both, all parties have to be, I think, introspective enough and self-aware enough to be like, okay, what is going on here? You know, are we, we're just, this is a, a manager-employee relationship right now, we're having that, or is that a family relationship? And I think that's where it gets, uh, I don't know what you think, Wes, but I think that's where it gets a little sticky. Yeah, it, it can, um, but I like your, your, the word you used, introspective. So I think what can make it work well is whoever is bringing the, the child in or um, if they really are introspective and they, and they think about, you know, they, they take themselves out of the business and look back in and go, okay, how is this, how is this working? And then they make sure that they're uh, talking a lot with that, that child is coming into the business. So, and just kind of that way, you know, okay, how is this working? This is kind of how I see things playing out. Uh, how are you feeling about things? What, you know, you gotta, if you have a lot of dialogue, then it, it, um, um, short circuits a lot of issues that you can have. I think to Brooks's point about working outside the business, um, it does, it's really most helpful to the kid because then the kid can come into the business and they can say, hey, look, I've got some life experience. And so I'm not just here because of a blood relation. And I think that's important for the kid coming in. So my second business, that's what I did. I came in, I bought a business where from my father-in-law and he but I'd already had many decades uh, being involved in another business, you know, out in Seattle with Brooks. So when I stepped into that new role, I had instant credibility because of my prior business experience. Um, so I think that was, that was super helpful. So I would say whatever can be done in that regard is, is helpful for the kid. Um, I think the other thing too, though, is to figure out a path that allows the kid who's coming in to figure out whether they really like the business or not. So sometimes kids feel absolutely like their, their arm is being twisted to come into the family business and take it over because how the heck are mom and dad going to retire if you don't come into this business, you know, son and take it over or daughter and, you know, you got to make this go. And so there's a lot of family pressure sometimes. So I think that's a bad thing because oftentimes that child comes in and they don't feel, um, they don't really love the business. They're not really that committed to it. They might be committed to their family and that's why they're there, but they're not committed to the, the business. It doesn't spark it for them. Um, so there has to be an easy way to talk about that frequently and then also allow that child to exit if that's not the case. So uh, from the child's standpoint, there's several things you can do to make that easier for them. But I think communicating to the employees what's going on is critical. So to give you an example, uh, when we moved to Colorado and bought this, you know, direct mail processing business. Um, so I came in as 36, came in, bought the business. Uh, my father-in-law took me around and introduced me to everybody and says, hey, Wes is buying the business. Okay, great. Well, uh, <laughs> so that was, a, that was kind of a surprise for a few people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, some people are probably my age, right? They're my age. And as Brooks was talking about, they were looking at their career path. And I think one of them said, oh, I was thinking maybe I could have bought the business someday. And he was gone in about three months. You know, he exited pretty quickly and he went and bought another business. So I think that's where more information, more communication with staff as to what your long-term goals around the business are. If it's always to pass it to a family member or have a family member buy it, whatever that transition is, but you want to keep it in the family, then you got to be, um, you got to be pretty transparent about that with your folks. Yeah. And I, I would um, echo kind of what you said about the whole confidence uh, piece, I guess, when you said you came out to Colorado to buy the direct mail business, you had all that outside experience and a lot of confidence. I would say, you know, my entry into the business 
my confidence was pretty low uh, just because I had a little bit of outside experience, but not much really. And so coming in, it was kind of like, I had that feeling of, I got to prove myself. And so I think that actually helped me on maybe the entitled front, you know, because like, hey, I had started my own thing. You said, hey, why don't you just come over here and join me? We'll kind of figure this out together. So I had a little bit going for me, but but not that much. But I think that pushed me to want to prove myself. But I'm curious if you guys have any specific thoughts around kind of that entitlement piece. Maybe somebody is, you know, like me, where they're just coming into the business. They didn't get a lot of outside experience. They're just coming directly into the family business. Um, let's say you have communicated it to the employees, but how do you develop that? you know, that younger leader um, or that person that eventually could take over uh, without them kind of developing some of those tendencies of, oh, I like, I got this opportunity because, you know, my parents have worked hard and, you know, now I'm just in it. Uh, You know, where do you go from there over those first few years to um, really build that person, uh, build that person up? I would start them at the bottom, you know, I definitely, but I would talk to them about what the path would be and say, Hey, at any time you can exit this path. That that's fine. But in order to really learn this business, you're going to come in, you can start here. You got to learn this part and this part and this part, and you're going to stay in each one of those sections until you've really learned it. And you're going to get paid what that position pays. So you're not going to be paid more. You know, that creates problems and you're not going to be paid less. So sometimes we feel like, oh, it's a family member. They should work for less. And, and that's wrong. That's you know, wrong. that's that's totally wrong. Uh, and we've seen how that's played out sometimes in family businesses. Or you get the opposite, which is, oh, uh, he's a family member. He gets additional perks. You know, like this position normally doesn't get a car. Uh, but, you know, Bob gets a car. And, and so all the other employees look at that and all of a sudden there's discussions around that. So I think there has to be this very even-handed approach to handling that. But I'd start them at the, at the bottom, just working through all the positions um, as they grow out of each position, move into the next one. Um, but then always allow them to exit if it's not the right business for them. But they have to learn the business. And if you're saying our ultimate goal is to have you take over and buy this, or whatever your exit plan is, but you know, you can exit at any time. And if it doesn't work out, we have to have a good enough relationship where I can say, Hey, you're not, you're not cutting it right now. Or you can say, I don't like the business and I, I want to exit. I don't know. What do you think, Brooks? I would, I would agree. And I think that it's a question of timing. Um, hmm. And you think about uh, our experience, you know, we, we were able to uh, early on in, you know, high school, you'd be able to, you know, build some foundations, you know, but I didn't build 200, right. you know, I probably did three, but I understood what a foundation was and, yeah. you know, you could clear some lots. Well, I didn't clear lots for 10 years, but I cleared several and you understood how equipment works and, you know, moving dirt and things like that. So it's, it depends on the size of the business and depend on the opportunities. You know, if there's a thousand people in the business, you know, that person, might come in and, and learn different aspects, but the length of time they spend in each position, you know, may be subject to how quickly you want to have moved them through the management, right. the management training, you know, the, as you, as you move that person up and through, I mean, yeah, you gotta have a plan, right? I mean, yeah, if you don't have a plan, they could, they, they could be in that position for 10 years and, sure. Yeah. And because the parent is going, Oh, this is helpful to have him yeah. or this position or her. In right. this position. And, I, and, I, and you have to, because um, they most likely that, you know, that person, that uh, adult child is going to be, Hey, I want to, I'm doing this because I want to improve my financial position, improve my career. Um, I'm not doing it so I can clean bathrooms. Right. You know, right. So th- that path that you've laid out and that path you then are sharing with your, your employees and saying, Hey, here's the path we're going to move them through. I'm going to need each one of you to help train this person because they're going to become the leader which is going to make this this enterprise continue and continue to provide jobs and work for everybody. And I'm being thoughtful and intentional about being a leader and an owner of the company. And people get on board. They understand some, not every employee wants to be an owner. Not every employee wants to be a manager. 
So it's as if you understand your employees and understand their personality profiles, then you can help them be the best they can be while you're setting up a, a good management um, transition plan. I'm going to give you a little, well, actually a big piece of insight that most construction companies don't even realize. Nearly all of the problems you encounter in your projects and business have one thing in common, communication or lack thereof. Think about the last time a project went sideways. I'm guessing if you traced it back to its source, it had something to do with a miss or miscommunication. In fact, 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to poor communication during projects. Needless to say, good communication needs to be a priority in your business. And that's especially true with everything that's happening around us today. BuildBook has created a simple solution that makes communicating with your clients and team incredibly easy so nothing slips through the cracks. And as a reminder, they've also made it 100% free for you to use during this uncertain climate we're currently in. So hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK, one word, to 33777, and they'll send you a link to sign up. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, and I found too, just uh, within our business, that just starting people at that entry level and then letting them work into those management positions, that's always, or leadership positions, has worked out the best um, and versus trying to bring somebody in, at, you know, in jumping into a higher level. Um, just my personal experience that has kind of bombed out. Whereas, uh, you know, if people are able to kind of get in and improve themselves, especially with, when it comes to leadership, because leadership, I feel like you, you're earning that. It's not given, you know, you can be given a management title, but if people really look at you as a leader, you've got to kind of go through some fires together and, you know, battle together a little bit, um, and that's, so I think what you guys are saying is like, start that person at the bottom and work them through. Even if to your point, Brooks, they go on an accelerated path, you know, maybe it's three months in each of these different divisions or six months or whatever it is, uh, but they're at least learning it, seeing what it is, doing the work, and then moving on to that, that next position. And I think, you know, probably Spencer, one of the reasons that things bomb out is you know, we, we never used to think about company culture, but now we think about it a lot. And I really think that helps define why people bomb out in a particular company and then are very successful in another company because of that culture fit. So to your point, I mean, if you come in and work in the business, you can see if there's a good culture fit, even if it's a family member, they might not be a good culture fit. Um, and so you need enough time to figure that out before you move them into a leadership position. Yeah. And in thinking about some of your guys' experience, because you've been able to work under various leaders and then you've been in leadership positions, you know, what are maybe some things that you've seen that people should avoid? Either things that, you know, you were working under somebody and it didn't go well or, you know, it wasn't resonating with you or things that you did where you're going, oh man, that, that really didn't work. Brooks, is there anything coming to mind in terms of... Yeah, know? I was just thinking about that kind of that idea of, uh, servant leadership as a, and you know, not, I don't think I even heard that term till I was 40. You know, so it's, I'm like, wow, if I understood that when I was 21 and, and again, going back to educating yourself about being a leader, because understanding how to be a leader helps you understand also how to be a better employee and how to, because you're going to under, you can understand okay, this leader is doing a good job or not doing a good job. What can I learn from that? You can always learn from every situation. So if you're working for somebody who's not a great leader, how can you be a better uh, employee or uh, you know, to work for them and help them be a better manager, a better leader, even if they're not? Um, and then you just, you just tuck that away and you're like, well, when I'm in a position of leadership, then I, I'm, you know, you're so, so when you, as you get into these leadership roles, you've already formulated some of those concepts and you get to try it out. And um, most likely you're always going to be working with somebody for somebody or have someone working for you. So you can work on that, that servant leadership style um, as you work with anybody. You know, how can you, how can you be a better uh, coworker? I mean, there's all sorts of opportunities to, to study that and work on that. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good point, Brooks. You can lead from any position in the company. Um, 
but in thinking about folks that I've worked for or leaders, to me, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, um, but I think a good leader is they are not a negative person. So I think a, a, a good leader is uh, neutral to positive, you know, at all times, um, even when they're faced with really tough situations. I think a good leader is um, has a good positive energy about them. And it could be high energy. It could be doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be high energy, but it has to be this kind of this positive energy that people want to get behind and that they feel confident in. So I think a good leader does instill confidence. And that doesn't mean they have all the answers and they roll out with the perfect solution every time. They, you know, they probably pull their people, they probably talk to them, they get input, and then they make decisions. You know, they go, hey, guess what? I've heard everything everyone has to say. We're going in this direction. Let's all get behind this and, uh, and let's go. Uh, but I think folks that are uh, super high and super low are very difficult to get behind as a, as a leader. That's, but that's just my opinion. Well, I, I, I agree, Wes. I mean, I, I went to um, Vistage as a CEO group, and they oh, bring yeah. in talkers. And, and, I mean, talkers. They bring in speakers. People that talk. And I, I went to a couple, and there's a uh, the presenter, a guy by the name of Michael Alasso, who I just am a huge fan of. But he his whole thing about leadership is that, you know, you're on stage, you know, all day and you know how do you how do you interact as a human being with your spouse your kids your employees other people so you know you have to what if you're having a bad day then just you better get your head together while you're driving to work or whatever and before you get out of that car and you walk in that front door and especially for those of us in the construction business, you know, you're, you're driving around, you're checking jobs, you're going to meet with clients, you're meeting with vendors, you know, and, and if things are not going well, you need to, uh, you know, put that away and be your best self every time. And that's super challenging. And I find that. And so, you know, you, you know, you can't go out onto a job site and rip some guy six, six ways to Sunday because you're having a bad day. Mm -hmm. I am you know, guilty of that. You know, when I was, more emotionally immature. Um, but you can't, you know, you have to be your best self because you, you know, other people are affected by your, your interactions. And so that goes back to, to Wes's point, which is you can't, you know, as a leader, you don't get to have a bad day. No. Yeah. And you are, you are totally under the microscope Yep. all the time. You may not think that people are watching you. They are watching you like a hawk. Just think, and if you've ever worked for somebody, you know, yeah. You really watched your boss and how is she feeling today? What's her mood as she walked in the office? Oh, should I steer clear for a little bit? Should you know, what's going on? And so, yeah, I noticed like <laughs> my dog, you know, if you have a dog, uh, you notice that your dog knows you better than you know yourself. Like if I walk over, walk by the closet and, you know, the dog knows exactly when I'm going to grab the leash or when I'm going to put on my shoes, he knows what times of day that I do different things. And that's the way we all are with the people that we report to. We're, we really watch them carefully. So you got to be on your game all the time. If you're not on your game and you do fall off a little bit, you got to apologize. You got to make amends. You got to make it right. That doesn't mean that you can do that every day. No, you can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't be doing that every day. Apologies lose some yeah. value. <laughs> right. There's no value. Yeah. 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 I'm really sorry I yelled at you five times today. Yeah. <laughs> well, Wes, uh, one example that popped into my head is yeah. Brooks, you were talking, you said you, you don't get to have a bad day as a leader. And I remember in the early days uh, of me joining the company, um, we'd have uh, weekly management meetings. And so there were right. maybe, you know, five or six of us in there in the room. And you, I can't remember. We, I think we started the meeting this way. Maybe we ended it, but you always go around the room and just say like, how are you doing today? And it was a scale of one to 10. And, uh, and you were always a 10, right. you know, and, and I, at first it was like, Oh, you know, he's a 10, he's a 10. And then it, I realized, you know, what, what was going on there. But that I think speaks to your point, Brooks was like, Hey, you can't have a bad day. Like, Hey, it's a good day. Like bad stuff happens, but we're still approaching it with a 10 attitude or a 10 mindset. Like, 
we got to, you know, keep moving forward and, and keep attacking. And that's, I think, just part of that, having that positive mindset, you know. Um, and then yeah, the other, oh, go ahead, oh, I was just going to say one more example that came to mind was you said you're always kind of being watched or, uh, you know, people are watching like a hawk and you go from being, you know, a husband or a dad or, you know, a boss or, you know, leader, whatever, all these different roles. And so um, I found that like, I'll pull into my garage and you take a couple of deep breaths and you put your dad hat on, you're going in there with high energy. Same thing when you roll up to the office, you know, you take a couple of deep breaths and then you're going in there and you're putting that hat on and you do have to wear those different hats and you're the same person, but sometimes it requires different skills or different, you know, attitudes or behaviors. Uh, but I think that just as a simple little exercise has really helped because sometimes you'll end the day and something happened that didn't go right. And then, and then you got to drive home or you're picking somebody up and you got to switch gears immediately and kind of process those things later. So that's been, been helpful to me. But Brooks, you're going to yeah, jump that's, in. That's just super, yeah. One, it's very hard for me to do because I don't have a garage. So I'm suffering <laughs> garage right now. So, so I pull up into my driveway. Nice, nice. I have to get out of my car. In the, uh, in the rainy Because you just have a bunch of bikes that have priority, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, yeah, I think that is one of the most challenge, challenging things as, as a human being is to, you know, you're, you're juggling all these multiple things whether you're a, you know, that's whether you're a leader leading a huge company, a small company, or whether you're an employee working in a company and working towards a leadership role um, is understanding that concept and being introspective to, to understand. Yeah, you have to, if you're going to, if you're going to have a bad day or you're having a bad, you know, work, understanding how you process that and how, and having, you know, hopefully somebody you can talk to about that because, you know, you can't keep it bottled up inside. So, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, come home and I'll say to my wife, I say, you know, I'm just going to ventilate for five minutes. I don't need you to do a thing. I just need to let this all go. And, uh, you know, you just let it all go. Um, you know, because otherwise it might come out as you're going to yell at somebody. And, you know, you just, you're just look, you know, you're just looking. You've had, you know, if, if something's gone so wrong and you're just looking for somebody. To, <laughs> where is this energy going to go? <laughs> where is this energy going to go? And the sooner you can learn how to deal with that energy and, um, and to process it, however, you, you know, maybe you're an athlete and you run, you know, some people go out and just they'll run it out mm-hmm. or they'll bike it out or they'll do something. Um, uh, so this, it's how do you do it? Because yeah, if you're going to be a leader and you're supposed to be on all the time, you know, that's not physically possible. So you have to find ways to process that. Sometimes you just have to, you know, I found that some mornings where you're, it's bad, you know, whatever it is, it's bad for whatever reason. And, and I, that's the other thing. I try not to hang on to any of that stuff. So it's hard to remember exact examples, but you you pull into the parking lot and it's not good. And you just sit there for a minute and then get your game face on and go in. And when you hit the door, your game face is on and uh, and that's what people need. They need you to do that. If you don't provide that for them, you are not being a leader. You are not giving them some reason to be there and to help you, you know, with, with your problems and your issues in the, in the business. So you got to give that to your folks. And it takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot out of you. And so as Brooks was talking, they got to figure out a way to recharge and, and get that game face back on for the, the next day. Whatever it is you have to do, in the evening or in the morning, whether it's exercise or meditation or talking to your spouse or, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Good, a good buddy of mine. And through the whole recession from 08, 09 and, and we ran together and I mean, um, you know, kind of life-saving because you can go out and run for two hours and you can just let all that go. And so he, you know, he was having a lot of challenges in his business and, you know, we just back and forth and that was a way for us to, you know, and then you're just, it's all gone and you know, he didn't take my load, my burden, and I didn't take his burden, you know, just you left it all out on the road and, you know, and, and I met, yeah, I miss that because it's just sometimes because there's somebody there, you can just like, let it go. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that can help you be a, a better leader. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you guys is that, you know, 
for those of you listening, you know, find that outlet because there's going to be challenges. There's just no avoiding that. And so find the outlet that allows you to put on that, that strong face and the game face, you know, in those, those moments. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to maybe think back to either a couple of leadership like stories where either you had a leader and you recognized that they were doing something that you thought was really cool or, you know, something that you yourself implemented and you were pretty proud of. And I'll, I'll start with one because I think these examples can be small or large, but in thinking about these things, um, I think it's good to recognize when you do them because in the moment, sometimes it doesn't feel that great, even though you know it was the right thing to do. And like one thing that just popped into my head as you guys were talking was, um, you know, I had to, had to let somebody go on one particular occasion. And I remember standing in my office, literally saying, you got to walk in there. You got to walk in. Like you got, I stood there for like seven minutes, just trying to psych myself up and taking some deep breaths. And, but I knew it was the right decision, not only for, you know, the team, the company, uh, but for that individual too, because it wasn't creating a successful scenario for, for them and the rest of the team. And so, you know, these decisions are the right things to do, but, um, but then you've got to like actually execute and push through on those. So that was one thing that came to mind, probably to some people, that's a super small example. They're like, Oh, no big deal. Like that, that's, you know, maybe they've had to let you know numerous people go. Um, I don't think it's ever fun, um, but you have to to do that. So I don't know if anything, comes to mind for you guys, um, Wes, as you think back either about um, leaders that you've had that you went, oh, that was that was a really good leadership moment or, or things that you've executed on. Yeah. Um, well, I think um, that's a really good question. And I was kind of just thinking about all your, uh, your example there about having to let people go, which is really one of the hardest, it is probably the hardest thing to do as a leader in a business. But I guess as I was thinking about it and who, who I really looked up to in my business career, and it's a, a guy that I think mentored both me and Brooks. And it's a gentleman whose name was Jerry Curtis. And uh, so Jerry Curtis um, was an engineer and he was, a, he was also an attorney. And he, but he worked in construction and he was a production manager. And very, very early on in my uh, building career, I was very upset um, with a, a sub, you know, and um, he just invited me into his office and he said, you know, there's a lot of hormones running around when you're your age. <laughs> you know, you just... <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously he had a good 25... 30 years on me <laughs> and uh, he just kind of looked at me and said, so you just need to relax and it'll work itself out. I'm like, Oh, okay. And it did, you know, but then I, that always stuck with me. And that was early on. This was within the first year where I was really starting to build a lot of houses and uh, like, okay, well I can just back off. I don't have, I don't need to win every single battle. Um, and doesn't, there doesn't need to be a battle. And that's what I took away from, but I always enjoyed Jerry's calm leadership and advice. And he was always there, there for me. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, Jerry, Jerry's, and he, uh, I spent a lot of time working with Jerry also. And, um, yeah, just a super, you know, world war two vet, you know, injured in Italy, the Italian campaign, he was 18. Um, and, uh, just super calm, cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so good from a, from a leadership standpoint, teaching you how to lead in a calm, cool, collected way. And um, so very helpful with that training. So I, I had another person I, I worked under who was a little bit more volatile and you could see that, you know, how he would interact with, with trades and employees. And, you know, a lot of people got blown up and, um, and seeing how that worked or didn't work in trying to, adjust your style. I mean, one of the challenges is you, we, especially in construction businesses, small businesses, you learn on the job. You know, there's not a huge, you know, 24 month management training program. You can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. You just can't afford it. So what can you do as a small business, small family business to train on the job and be intentional about training? I mean, it may be as much as 
you as a parent are employing one of your kids and you're learning how to be a leader and train that person to come up into the business. And there's just two people that could be, that could be the start. And uh, how can we as business owners do that intentionally and, and be a management, you know, leadership trainer for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it makes me think of, I just actually, finished rereading um, Man's Search for Meaning, which if you haven't gone through that one. <laughs> that's um, on my book recommendation this week. <laughs> oh, was it? Okay, sorry. Well, you can still No, no, that's fine. It. That's great. Yeah. But, but it came to mind because you were talking about, you guys both mentioned just kind of that calm, collected leadership style. And uh, like one of the big themes from that book is you, can, you can't always control the outcome or what happens to you but you can always control your emotions and how you react to it. And um, that really, I, I remember we had a leadership class in college and we read that book and that stuck with me. And so if you have this scenario that normally you'd, you'd want to blow up or you'd be angry, you know, you just kind of collect yourself and, and realize that like yelling at somebody probably isn't going to make them feel good. And then it, you know, moving forward, it doesn't help them moving forward. So it's kind of like drawing this line, like that already happened. We can't change that. So how can we move forward effectively? And usually that's not through yelling and anger. And, you know, sure, sometimes there need to be repercussions or, you know, um, hey, course correction, we need to do some extra training here. Or, hey, this really was not good. You know, here's what we're going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again. But you can deliver all that information in a calm way while still delivering, I think, the, the magnitude of it. Um, and Wes, we'll get to some... Oh, you're, you're holding something on the screen. For those I probably can't see that. Yeah, for those of you listening, yeah, ahead, so, so really what you just said uh, made me think about that old equation. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but um, it's E plus R equals O, meaning we always control what happens because E is the event plus our reaction equals the outcome. So we always control the outcome. We can't control the E or the event, but since we can control control our reaction, then um, we always control what happens. So I always kind of like that E plus R. E plus yeah, so. that's good. Yeah, yeah. and we're um, we're gonna wrap here in a minute. I want to get to your guys' book recommendations on leadership, but we're gonna start kind of a a new segment uh, as uh, periodically as we get questions. But uh, we'll call it the Builder Funnel Radio Listener Q and A. Uh, so we had a few questions coming in. Uh, one of them we've already tackled, which is what position uh, should I start my kid in? And both of you guys were pretty in agreement there. St start at the bottom and move through. Timing can be fast or slow depending on the scenario. But uh, we had a couple more. One of them was, you know, what if my kids don't want to get involved in the business? Uh, kind of what are options for transition? Uh, let's make these a little more rapid fire questions since we're near the end of our, our segment here. Uh, Wes, why don't you? Well, I guess, uh, can you restate that, Spence? So. Sure. So it was, what if my kids don't want to get involved in the business? So we've been talking a lot about pulling kids in and moving them through and how to do that. But what if they don't? Kind of what are other transition options? Well, I, I think, uh, I, and first, I would assume that your kids don't want to get in the business. I mean, I think that's a good place to start. Just assume that they don't. And then if they express an interest, if you talk to them and they're going, okay, then you can do that. Um, but in terms of other transitions, I think that's, you always want to go into the beginning with the end in mind and whether that transition is to one of your children or to an outside party, you need to be thinking about that pretty early on in structuring your business to do that. So it could be, uh, you, you got to figure out another exit strategy besides your kids. I mean, because chances are good that your kids are not going to want to come into the business, that they're going to do something else. And, and that's fine. You know, that's cool. Um, so start thinking about, how you would transition the business to an outside party or collect enough assets or reserves that you can eventually shut the business down and, and it's met your, your needs. Yeah, what do you think, I, I, would, I would agree. Yeah. You have to assume your kids would not be interested in the business and don't burden them with that and say, Hey, you're, you've got this business, you love it. And what are the opportunities to transition out? Either you have someone in the business who'd want to acquire it, um, or you have an outside sale, which might be potential. And you have to be working on those as part of your whole strategy. You know, what am, am I just, am I running this business just so I have something to do? And then when I'm done, I'm just, you know, hanging up the tools and 
we're done with it, or am I trying to create value for a sale? Is you know, is this business have the opportunity to be a, to be sold? Does it have an economic value? Um, and I think that's almost an easier that's an easier path than oh, let's bring the kids into the business and work. There's a lot more work in bringing kids into the business and transitioning to them than there is in just an outright sale. Yeah, or a sale to an in, you know someone working there. And I think that's fair. Just if you've thought about your business at the front end, you go, hey, guess what? This business will not transition to the next generation. That's fair because you maybe you don't want to go through that process. So, but if that's what you're thinking, get that out there, let the kids yeah. know <laughs> in case they were thinking that they were going to go into the business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think those are good points. And, and uh, the next question we actually got to it, but I want to tweak it a little bit. Cause the question was, should my kids come straight out of school into the business or get another job first? I know you guys kind of said, yeah, go get another job first. Let's say there's a high level of interest they already know, maybe they've done a couple of, you know, they've scrapped some lots or done some things in, in a high school and they're like, yes, I really want to get into the business. Same answer or a different answer, Brooks, we'll start with you. Do you would you still push them to get another job somewhere oh, else absolutely. first? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. But with a plan, which is sure. you know, maybe those conversations are happening in high school as you're, as you're, as you're talking to your kids and maybe they're going to go right out of high school, right into the workforce, or they're going to go to trade school, or they're going to go to college, whatever that path is. It's those discussions about, Hey, this, you know, if this is of interest to you and this is a, this is a path that would work. If you have a responsibility as a parent, as a leader, as a business owner to provide that pathway. And in this case, you're providing it for your child. So, which you have, you're doing double duty you're providing a pathway for your child and you're also providing a pathway as a manager and leader, you know, into your, um, you know, into the business. So that's what you, you have to think about. And I just think, you know, and this really comes from my experience, which is I was you know, very inexperienced, came right into the construction business with no, no skills at all, you know, and pretty emotionally immature. And if I had gone somewhere and worked somewhere for, maybe I should have worked somewhere for 20 years. I don't know. I would have been a better employee and there, you know, would have become a better leader quicker um, uh, because I would have worked somewhere and, you know, you kind of get to, you, know, you, get, you get a little bit of stuff knocked out of you working for somebody. And, and it's good to have somebody telling you what to do. That's not your parent or not. Your yeah. yeah. I think that's, that comes from my experience. So I feel pretty strong. Yeah, I think that, I think that's well said, Bricks. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's wrap with some book recommendations. So Wes, we'll, we'll start with you, but maybe, you know, recommendations on leadership, either books that have impacted you personally or, or kind of, I don't know, top yeah. favorites in that category. Uh, well, I think um, it's kind of a tough question. There's so many books on leadership, but one that I thought was quite good is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willick and uh, Leif, uh, I forget Leif's last name. Babin. Okay, yeah, that's right. So Extreme Ownership, um, I, I'd recommend that one for sure. Um, I think just this would be an odd recommendation, but Win Friends and How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale yeah, Carnegie. But if you're going to be a leader, you have to know how to get along with people, yeah. you know how to connect with people. So I think that's an important book. Um, Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. You go, well, that's not really a leadership book, but you have to know how to develop your habits so you can do the same things consistently so you can provide that leadership example to your employees and they know what to expect. And you can develop good habits and not necessarily bad habits. So those are, those are my recommendations for today. Cool. That's how a about lot. You, yeah. I just brought one to, you know, <laughs> show them off with three. I always recommend for, especially people getting started, you know, the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, mm -hmm. you know, how do we do it here? And that's about, you know, that goes to the whole development of systems, but you just can't go wrong with that book and thinking about your business that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. And, uh, you Wes, Wes, you stole mine as well. So I'll, I'll throw oh. another. but extreme ownership really, because yeah. I mean, the big concept from that is that you have to own the, you know, the outcome and the response, you have to take responsibility, but not just, you know, it's everybody. So whether you're leading as a, an employee or you're leading 
in an entry level position or as the top guy, like if you take responsibility and ownership for whatever happened, if everyone approaches it that way, then you start working towards solutions. But especially as the top guy recognizing that, hey, if something went wrong, it's because you didn't have a good enough system, you didn't provide the training, and so versus blaming. And so I, I think that just is super powerful. Um, but I, I'll toss in his other one, which is dichotomy of leadership, which is same by, by Jocko. And that one, he basically talks about how leadership is pretty much the hardest job in the world because you, you have all these categories and scenarios of things that happen. And it's not like there's always, you're always on one extreme or you're always on the other extreme. Sometimes you're on one, sometimes you're on the other, but most of the time you're kind of tugging somewhere in the middle, you know, so you're trying to be stern, but not aggressive, but you're not trying to be too soft, you know, so it's like, it's a very much an art and knowing situationally when to, you know, be either a little more to one side or the other or right in the middle. And so uh, I like that one is, uh, is a really good one as well. Um, but yeah, you guys got any final thoughts on, on leadership as we wrap for today? Man, I don't know. I think we've, we've uh, ventilated the subject, at least yeah. <laughs> from our perspective yeah. or my perspective. <laughs> yeah, my, my only thought is just always remembering trying to be the best, you know, the best leader you can be every day, uh, all day. Because, you know, you're on and people are watching what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Well, and, and thank you guys for, for listening and tuning in. We hope that uh, this one at least triggered some new ideas, some new thoughts especially, you know, with bringing in the next generation of the business, thinking about how to bring them in in a thoughtful, strategic way. Um, and if you guys got some value, got a new idea out of the show, we'd really appreciate a review over on iTunes that helps us spread the word. And we will see you next week here on Building a Family Business on Builder Funnel Radio. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Wes Brooks and myself on leadership. We covered a lot, but I like to pull out takeaways. And so there were a few things that stood out to me uh, there was a lot in here, but a few things that I think will be really helpful for you as you leave this episode. One is thinking about that question, what is my leadership style? And I know that really helped me, uh, but I think it's a great question to think about to one, figure out what is your current leadership style, but then that allows you to make adjustments and evolve that style over time. So ask yourself that question today, but then continue to ask yourself that question every three months, six months and beyond. The second takeaway was really uh, that tip of like putting on those, those hats. Brooks talked about being your best self in every scenario, whether that's, you know, on the soccer field or you're at home or you're in the office or you're on the construction site with subs, um, but putting on that hat and putting on that game face as Wes talked about. And so I think um, finding that outlet, you know, for me, you know, it's taking a couple of deep breaths as you go into a new environment, you know, Brooks talked about, getting those miles in on the road, especially having a running buddy. Um, so maybe you like to work out, whether that's solo or with somebody, um, whether you just walk up to your spouse and say, hey, I got to dump a bunch of stuff that was really tough today um, and letting that go so that you can put on that game face in all those scenarios. And then the final takeaway is pick up a couple of leadership books. You know, we mentioned a few and we'll put those in the show notes, um, but those have been super impactful. And sometimes People talk about finding a mentor, working with a mentor. Uh, it doesn't always have to be somebody that you've met in person. I feel like I've got tons of mentors from all the books I've read. So I uh, definitely recommend anything that Jocko is putting out. And then um, Brooks mentioned the E-Myth, and, and we'll drop all those links in the show notes. So hopefully those are some good takeaways. I hope you guys take some action on those. And we'll see you next week on Builder Funnel Radio.